0: Welcome to Updates from the Field, produced by Cry Missionary Society.
1: Hello, I'm Paul Washer, and I'd like to welcome you back to Updates from the Field. Today, I'm here with our one of our Asian coordinators, who, uh, after about a year and a half or two years of being quarantined through COVID, is finally traveling again. Welcome, brother. Hey. Okay, so tell us uh, what's been going on.
0: Well, I guess it's been about three weeks now since I got back from Nepal. Uh, It's been awesome to get back out on the field. I mean, I think back of previous missionaries and biographies that you read about, you know, with Adoniram Judson taking like three months to get to the field. And so it's so easy just to hop on a plane, and I think it took 22 hours. I'm back. With the boots on the ground, seeing our brothers and sisters in Christ.
1: Okay, I want to stop you right there. Okay, I agree that it's not like Judson or Carrie traveled. But I've flown there myself, and that 22 hours can be very, very tough on the body.
0: Absolutely. It's 14 hours in a metal tube where you're hardly getting up. You feel like your ankles are swelling. Yeah. And then when you do get on the ground, it feels like everything is numb and you're in another world.
1: And then, you, sure. of course, you fly in missionary class, which is at the very back of the... Uh, which is behind the, the toilet,
0: actually. <laughs> right. So it's like, you know, with the stewardess...
1: Yeah, that's right. (laughs) So um, what happened? Give us a little overview.
0: Yeah, so I was visiting two works. The two works that HeartCry supports. Mm -hmm. One in Kathmandu, and then also the one in Boutois. And so each of those places, I was able to interact with the men, go into their homes, get to see the interns that they're uh, they're ministering to, uh, get to interact with the church members, and also do a small conference in each of those places. Uh, when I went to Batoil, I uh, also got to be a part of this new forming church plant. So it started out as a Bible study, and mm-hmm. right now they're teaching about church membership. And I think they're teaching on the um, church covenant and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And pretty soon there's going to be a man who is sent there that would take care of them. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, right now they're just meeting on a porch. I mean, just a humble group of eight to ten believers uh, just hungry for the Word of God. So that was really encouraging. Got to preach there, exegete the scriptures, uh, which always does my heart well to see the reaction and mm-hmm. hear their testimonies and how it ministered to them. And then, uh, yeah, so got to do some conferences with other pastors in the right. area. Uh, just a really good, encouraging time.
1: Now, I know that you can't... Well, first of all, um, I think it's very important that we recognize... You mentioned two cities, Kathmandu mm-hmm. and Butwa very different from one another very very okay, different okay t- talk to me a little bit about Kathmandu and how it's different from Butwal
0: yeah so Kathmandu is like the epicenter of chaos right everything is moving all around you you're assaulted by smells and sounds and am I going to get hit by a motorcycle <laughs> i mean at any point in time i remember getting back on the field and the first thought was man I forgot how dusty it is. Yeah. Like you feel the dust forming in the corner of your eyes just yeah. by walking down the street.
1: And Kathmandu, um, not only, uh, of course, people from Nepal, but a lot of Europeans, Absolutely. climbers, because that's where, that's the first stop on the way to Everest. Yes. And um, also, it's a very large... Do you have any idea of the population? It's over, uh, over dude, a million. Uh, y'all, way over a million. Yeah. For sure. And... Um, a lot of influence from the West. Mm-hmm. I remember being in a, um, a restaurant there and there was really a Western influence and, and a lot of uh, people coming from the West looking for a spiritual experience absolutely. and also just a lot of drinking, a lot of immorality, a lot of debauchery. Yeah, absolutely. And when did the church in Kathmandu, when did it start?
0: Yeah, so the pastor has been there for, I think, four years now. So on a previous trip, I met with them and they were just now constituting the church and then mm-hmm. COVID happened and it's been a while since I've been back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so it's been about four years in the making. Uh, the work there has been moved several different times because typically in Nepal, once a gathering starts to happen, somebody takes notice, they get upset, they kick you out of the building. Right. Uh, so they've had to move a couple of times and they've got a place now that seems to fit their needs and it's seems to have a little bit of stability there so yeah the church is growing it's a young church it's Mm -hmm. just really exciting to be honest with you
1: now how many um how many people are we working with in nepal
0: yeah well two major hubs right okay in one major hub we support three guys and then in the other hub which is in boutois we support a total of 10 guys
1: now let me just uh say something here that's very very important Um, There have been so many uh, different, I don't know if you would call them theories or fads on church planting. Um, One of them is this idea of rapidly advancing, you know, so you'll hear people say, you know, we're planting one church a week and things like that. Here at HeartCry, we believe that when there is a Bible study of genuine believers There is a sense, a very limited sense in which you can call that a church because it is a gathering. These people have been called out and they are gathering together, but we don't count that as as a church um, in the sense of we would say a church has been planted. No, a group of believers have been brought together now through the exposition of scripture, through prayer, through discipleship, it will one day grow into a mature church. And, and what do we call a mature church? It's, it's, it has um, elder qualified men leading it. It has deacon qualified men serving in it. Uh, there's expository preaching. There's congregational prayer. Um, also, there's church discipline being practiced. But not only that, there's the idea that this church is now grown to the point where it's beginning to multiply into uh, other churches you know usually when someone reaches adulthood uh, one of the signs of that is they marry but the other sign of that is they begin to reproduce and so that's one of the that's one of the characteristics that we think is really important before you call a church a church yeah yeah, it's like an apple tree. You right. I mean,
0: you're never a young apple tree. No one wants to eat those apples. No. It takes seven, eight years for right. a mature tree to right. produce fruit. And that's what we're looking for. We're not looking for mushrooms, right. something that springs up overnight. A little controversy happens. It gets wiped away. Right. We're looking for oak tree kind of churches, something yeah. that's going to be established for generations to generations.
1: When I first went to Peru, uh, a man by the name of Redford Trammell, who at that time I thought had been in Peru for 100 years, but he's still there, Mm. (laughs) and um, just a a, a man full of experience, and he looked at me and he said, if you by yourself attempt to plant churches in Peru, and he says, if in 40 years you plant four biblical Mm. mature churches, your life is a miracle. Well, yeah. Now, uh, another thing. I know you can't mention names, right? But there is one guy in particular. Every time I think of Nepal, that stands out.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And uh, could you just give us a little background story on his on his life, maybe just from the beginning to. To where he is now.
0: Yeah. Well, you actually met him right before. I think it was back in maybe 2009 or something yeah. that long ago, and he was just a little mountain man. Yeah. His dad was a mountain man, and now when I talk about mountain men in Nepal, I talk about <laughs> that's the real deal. Nepal. They are yeah. like goats. They're walking the <laughs> they're walking the mountains. They never. Well, go... be careful if yeah. you're
1: Christian missionaries. Let's just call them uh, sheep. Yeah. There we go. That's
0: true. Uh, but anyway, I mean, they don't go to hospitals. You know, you got a toothache. They yeah. know what plant to go pick out of the forest yeah. to help you out. I mean, Yes. Yeah. And so that's where he came from. Uh, and then we sent him to go get an education. And the Lord's hand has just yes, it is. been upon him. And when he came back into the, the work, everyone begins to recognize his, yeah. his usefulness. I mean, every, and, and see, in the Asian countries gray hair rules right? so a man who is older no matter what he says right or wrong deserves respect and you can't talk back to them and you need to submit to them well these older men all throughout these mountain pastors when he comes back they just naturally see the hand of God upon this man and it's the older men who have been coming to him and saying teach me train me I need to know more tell me
1: well I remember when I first met him I was like, I was looking around like, you know, we are, we're out in the mountains and I was like, how did you learn English? Yeah. I mean, how did, did you learn to speak so well? You would have thought he had gone to Kathmandu and that he had spent years studying the language and it's like, he just said, I, I don't know, I just I just learned it, I just, just could it. do it, I just picked it up. Yeah. and. Um, I, He's one of those people. So if you go to conferences, you know, you go you go to these big Bible conferences and you see these uh, famous preachers come in and you think, oh, my goodness, there's the cream of the crop. It's really not. And, and those preachers would also tell you that. Um, it's not the cream of the crop. The cream of the crop is guys like the yeah. one we're talking about that we can't name. Um, you know, I'm a lot older than him, but I always think to myself, when I grow up, <laughs> I would like to be like him. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah.
0: yeah I, I like to learn from him and just watching him interact and how yeah. he treats the men and how he ministers not only to the oldest illiterate person in the congregation, but just to the mountain pastor as well. It's amazing.
1: And then now his father, though, also is an amazing man. Yeah, he is. Yeah.
0: So he is like an evangelist at heart. He pastors... A church and then oversees another church. I mean, he takes five-hour hikes to get yeah. to a place to preach the gospel. And it's
1: not five hours like no, this. No, it's five <laughs> hours like this. Yeah. I
0: mean, I don't even know how they do it sometimes. Uh, but he is always wanting to go further. Yeah. And so it's almost as if some of the men have to hold him back because they don't want him to go by and how himself. how old is he? He's got oh, to be close to 60, yeah, 70, 68, 69, 69 yeah. something like that. I, I believe it is. I could be wrong on that. I'm and, sure they'll and, correct me.
1: And both of them, they have suffered hardship. But both of them, when you see them, it's like they're yeah. always smiling. And it, it's something it, it's something beautiful that I saw. There's a picture of George Mueller, a famous picture. And when you look at him from one angle, he's obviously 90-something, 92 or whatever, and then you look at him again, and there's such a beauty and a life to him that he looks like a kid at Christmas. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I would describe their their joy is, uh, is just, uh, you know, infectious. I mean, it's Yeah, just it beautiful. is.
0: It's infectious. When you show up at the church building, he just looks at you, and it's this huge smile rolls yeah. across his face, and he yeah. just gives you a big warm embrace. And That's yeah. just, yeah.
1: Now, you notice, uh, you, you mentioned they're not only planting churches, but... Training men, Second Second uh, Timothy two two. Absolutely. And and how do they go about doing that?
0: Well, they do have internships, mm-hmm. so they'll find young men who are either in churches around the area who desire more robust theological education, and they are friends with mm-hmm. Sar or with the pastor there in uh, Butwal, mm-hmm. and so uh, they'll ask him about the internship, and he'll take them under. And I'm talking they spend. Hours upon hours. This is not something where they put you in a room and just have you read books. Right. No, no, no. You are with the pastor yeah. every single morning, reading and studying the scriptures and learning theology, learning practice in the local church. I mean, it's just really a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, sometimes I wish I spoke the language so I could go there and learn. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is that. So tell me. Um, kind of is there anything else you'd like to say with regard to the overview of, of your trip?
0: No, I will tell you one thing that has really encouraging to me. Uh, so the pastor in Boutois, uh, they've been talking about expository preaching. Now that is a new concept for most pastors. They have never preached from front to back in any right. book of the scriptures. And so it's not just him showing up and saying, you need to do this, and then walking away. Right. Because that just leaves so many questions. It just muddies the waters. So what he decided to do is he decided to get all these pastors together, and every Thursday they show up at 8 a.m. in the morning, and they take a section of Scripture... And then they work through it all together. So he's not just saying you need to preach expository and uh-huh. just leaving it alone. He's showing them how. How do you get the main thought out of the text? How do you communicate that text yeah. to the congregation? And they make two outlines. So they're here, they're in this room for eight to nine hours, and they make two outlines. One is the exegetical outline what uh-huh. does the text say? And then the homiletical outline how should they preach it to the congregation? And yes, I mean, in talking to the pastors, they tell us, this is challenging. We've never done this before. Mm -hmm. But as they flex those muscles, it will become easier and easier. They'll get stronger and stronger. And you can already see some of the fruit being stirred up. That's right. So it's really beautiful.
1: Now, some of you might be thinking, hold it. These are mountain men in Nepal. Uh, You'd hear the same if we were talking about some of the works in the jungles of Peru. You may be thinking, hold it. You know, you're talking about theology, you're talking about doing uh, exegesis, you're talking about expository preaching, isn't that making too much of a demand? Absolutely not. One of the things that that has been so disheartening to me over the years is the attitude that if you go into a tribe or a rural rural area, that if you can just get them to repeat a track, you know, um, you've done well. That is so wrong. You see, everyone. That's walking this planet, no matter even the lost, there is some aspect of the truth that, that, that we're still, there's something of the image of God in us. And you take these men in the jungle, you take these men in the mountains and you teach them the scriptures and they renew their mind in the scriptures. They will have more wisdom than an Oxford scholar. And in one generation or two generations, you could have some of the greatest theologians coming out of the Nepal, of Nepal or the jungles of Peru. What you've got to realize, if if Western society made any progress at all, it is the result of the preaching of the gospel. That's why Western society is also just, well, turning back and going back to, to what it was because it's rejected God. But I expect and we expect that over the years, we're going to see tremendous uh, theologians, writers, but most importantly, Preachers who study the Bible and preach the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so give me the big thing that maybe sticks out in your mind more than anything else. You may have already gone over it, but if so, just tell me something else.
0: Yeah, uh, besides the watching them walk through and teach the people how to exegete the scriptures and expository preach the scriptures... uh, just getting to know the men, the interns, seeing their hunger, seeing their fire. There was another group from a church that I did not know about. I've met the pastor one time on a previous, but seeing the young men mm-hmm. there under him, he wasn't able to make the meetings, but his guys that he's been training were, and I was just really impressed with those men. And so that opens up another avenue, so you're now are you're are starting to think, okay, so let's see if this could be a good fit for HeartCry as well.
1: Now, these guys are also... Aren't they? Um, I know that they're 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 talking to us at times about good books that are in English and translating them and things like that yeah. in Nepal. So how's that going?
0: Yeah, it's going well. Uh, so this work in Kathmandu, they do have a publishing ministry as well, and so they want to see solid. The way he put it was this: Nepal is a theological desert. There is no good books, and the books that they have been translated in Nepal are typically unhealthy. Uh, in their theology and also in their practice. pop theology, yes, very yeah. like very popular. Nothing really substantial that's going to change a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get the best resources and translate it to help the churches. Yeah.
1: It's just one of the most amazing things when you go into places like that and and you find them discussing, you know, in depth the doctrine of justification or yeah. the deity of Christ or the doctrine of propitiation and. Um, the atonement and it just shows you the power of the gospel, that, that anywhere the Word of God is taught and it is believed and practiced, you will see the power of God.
0: Yeah, and they have a different perspective. And so you hear them talk about it, and you're starting to pick up things that you've never seen yourself <laughs> right. about a certain text, and you're like, hmm, "Yeah, wow, that's pretty good."
1: Yeah, the teacher becomes the student. Yeah. Yes, I was just no uh, uh, one take away from Nepal, but I was just um, talking to a brother in Peru that when I was there, he was a young man, and uh, now he is the go-to guy for us. Wow you know, and um if if he approves someone theologically, practically or whatever, you don't even have a worry. Right. You know? And and that's just a wonderful thing. Again, it shows the power of the gospel.
0: Yeah. But it was overall a good trip and I'm so glad that the world is starting to open up a little more. I can't wait to get back out there.
1: All right. Well would you lead not only me, but lead uh, those who are listening in a prayer for Nepal,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, the one, the architect who is building his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the promises that you have given to your people. Yes, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that they are unbreakable and unfazable. Lord, that they will not fail. And Father, we do come before you now asking that you would continue to bless your church in Nepal. Most importantly, that you would bless them with your presence, that they would be a church, Lord, that walks in integrity, that does not rely on clever speech or superiority in language, Lord, but they would simply proclaim the truths of the gospel. Oh, God, we pray, Lord, that you would raise more men up there, men who shepherd your flock, men who sacrifice self, Lord, who are not worried about reputation, who are not seeking any type of ambition, but, but Lord, just people who serve and shepherd your church. Oh, Father, draw close to them. Fill that church with your spirit. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would not allow them to be distracted. Lord, that you would cause them to walk uprightly before thee, always giving an account to you, always walking in the fear of you, always ready to share the faith with those, Lord, who are perishing. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for what you're doing in Nepal. We ask for more, that you would pour out your spirit upon them and cause this infant work, Lord, to grow into that mighty oak tree. Oh, Lord, we thank you. We love you, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, God bless you and thank you. And please continue praying for Nepal. Let today just be the beginning. But pray that God will raise up laborers and that they will be men and women of faith and piety of the word and prayer. God bless you.
0: Thank you for listening to Updates from the Field. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.